Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, March 3rd, 2023. I'm your host, Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. With me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series, addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's economic news, the calendar was fairly light. So let's start with the Case-Shiller report on house prices, which show that in December there has been about a 4.4% decline in terms of prices below the peak that occurred in June of 2022. However, the prices are still 5.8% higher at this time than they were in December of last year. The manufacturing sector continued to contract in February for the third consecutive months, indicating declines in financial conditions for overall manufacturing and decelerating output. And finally, initial unemployment claims on Thursday remain below the 200,000 level for many, many weeks now, consistently showing that there's some decent level of competence within the overall jobs market as it relates to the initial unemployment claims. So with that in mind, George, let's start with you with some observations that you might have on the overall economic trends and data this week and any other thoughts that you'd like to share. George? Well, I agree, Brian. It, it has been kind of a weak, uh, weak economic calendar this, this week in the sense that not really many headline grabbing uh, indicators have been out. I think we'll probably uh, have to kind of catch our breath in a week or two because the next few weeks are going to be pretty busy, I think. But in the meantime, I think it's probably fair to say that um, there's some evidence that inflation is cooling, uh, is increasing. So there are more and more signs that inflation is starting to come down a bit. Of course, that was elevated when the, the official number came out just a few weeks prior. But uh, at the moment, you've seen a lot of a lot of uh, deceleration in commodity prices, um, even some some faint hints that the job market might be starting to kind of uh, cool off a little bit, uh, but still pretty hot. Um, and to that point, on the other side, while, while some things like the good sector and, and commodity prices are coming down a little bit, uh, services sector continues to be quite robust, and that's actually a bigger part of the economy. And at the same time, jobless claims, which are kind of an early indicator for overall job health, has also been quite low. I mean, there are a few people that are filing for unemployment insurance, which is kind of a nice early indicator where the job market's going. So it seems like the labor market is still pretty strong. Um, some parts of the economy is weakening. We've talked about housing, actually holding in there uh, as rates kind of fell back down a little bit. Mortgage rates this past week, however, did tick up again, and probably no surprise, some of the demand in the housing sector did cool off a little bit. But services, meanwhile, I look at uh, restaurant activity and other things on the services side, hotels, occupancy at the hotels, for example, are kind of closing in on new highs, it seems like. Um, so the travel sector is doing quite well. In fact, in many, many of the jobs that are being created these days are actually in the services sector. Uh, which I think is noteworthy too, in the sense that sector was still kind of going through a lot of um, problems post-COVID. So it seems to be kind of, kind of a mixed bag, uh, a lot of confusing signals, I guess, irrespective of kind of where the economy is going, where again, inflation is kind of cooling off a little bit. The economy itself is, is actually kind of moderating, maybe inflecting a little bit higher. Uh, but again, I would, I would suggest that the next couple of weeks are going to be pretty important to try and solve this riddle 
between um, slowing inflation and um, strengthening economic growth. At the same time, you know, looking at the, the equity market, um, Steve, I'm kind of struck by the fact that we've seen a pretty marked divergence in some of the overall cross currents in the market, where it seems like many of the companies that were hit the hardest last year have got major bids behind them. They've really rallied quite strongly this year. Some of the high bid companies have done exceedingly well, where some of the more quality, more defensive companies have, have really lagged quite a bit. So overall, net-net, the market seems to be kind of um, slightly positive for the year, but a lot of trends beneath the surface. Um, what are you seeing with respect to the equity market these days? Well, George, you're definitely right that we've seen high beta take a, take the lead uh, here as we've moved uh, through the second month of the year. And, you know, quite honestly, this looks to us like a classic early cycle configuration in the market. And that's exactly what you'd expect to see high beta stocks leading, small caps leading. Um, when you, When I go under the hood and I look at sectors and industry groups, you see semiconductors doing well, you see industrials doing well, consumer discretionary doing well. And on the flip side, you see things like consumer staple, healthcare, you know, typical defensive sectors uh, doing doing rather poorly, especially on a relative basis compared to the rest of the market. So, you know, I think that this this there's a there's a clear message being sent here by by the market in terms of its its leadership configuration. Um, that that things are are better maybe than than what the economic fundamental data and and other people are kind of uh, talking about when you hear this overarching market narrative. You know, it really struck me this week too. We had a pullback. Uh, we've had a pullback in the S and P 500 uh, over the last few trading sessions. However, it's it's stopped right where technicians and uh, you know other uh, of those of us who who watch things like this on a chart basis thought that we might see support, which is right at the 200-day moving average. 200-day moving average has has come down and flattened. Um, this, the S&P 500 pulled back right to the 200-day um, and has has bounced uh, fairly significantly here uh, yesterday and and then it also in here following through in today's session. So, you know, I think that what we see here is um, a, a market that's behaving absolutely normally. You know, we've had a couple of, of highs that we've that we've seen uh, over the last few months, we've had higher lows, um, and now we've had a pullback to to typical support. Um, all of this looks like normal, new, emerging kind of cyclical bull market activity to us. Nothing to to get concerned about. Um, in fact, we wouldn't really get concerned unless we were to see the market make a new 65-day low, or that that's you know roughly a, a new low over a three-month look-back window. The number on that currently for the S&P 500 is 37.65. So really, the bears have got a lot of work to do in order to try to flip this tape negative. Uh, we've had plenty of uh, momentum signals. We've had things. Another thing too, you know, that that really gives us uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, heartens our outlook is you know, we've seen this average stock continue to do really well. Um, we look at a couple different measures of that. One of them is this value line arithmetic index. We plot that relative to the S&P 500. Um, and when that, that line goes up, instead of going down, it means the average stock is outperforming the market. Um, and, and that is, again, it's a classic uh, bull market type of signature when we see that emerging. And the other thing is, it's really good for people like me who like to pick stocks. Active managers do, it's a, it's a, it's a, target-rich environment for active managers right now. 
Yeah, it seems to make a lot of sense. I mean, one thing that's kind of caught my eye recently is this thing called the equity risk premium, which um, sounds kind of like a pretty academic term, but basically it refers to the valuation difference between stocks and bonds. And you can kind of tease it out a couple of different ways. But if you just look at the simple relationship between stocks and bonds uh, using that ERP framework, you've got a situation right now where um, bonds are probably as attractive as stocks were, stocks are rather, for the first time in over a decade. In other words, bonds kind of had uh, a backseat in the sense that valuations for equities were pretty supportive, interest rates were pretty low, which actually made bonds somewhat unattractive to people. But now that you've got valuations staying rather elevated in equities, and at the same time, you've got um, bond yields have come up quite a bit, it seems that maybe that valuation um, uh, premium essentially has kind of vanished. So I guess you know maybe something to think about is how we want to position portfolios in that backdrop. But first of all, Rajiv, let me get your thoughts on what's happened with interest rates, because they have really moved up quite a bit, uh, quite quickly in the last few weeks or so. You think? Yeah, you're right. You're right, George. Um, since the last FOMC meeting, really, you had all the Fed members come together and kind of stick with the narrative that, you know, during their speaking engagements, they were going to work on the Fed is not done yet. And that's their narrative. They want to keep on, uh, you know, keeping the pressure on. They feel that inflation is still elevated. It still remains sticky. And uh, we saw that stickiness in the PCE inflation print, which is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation. And other economic data really supported that, too. So it really went to support the Fed's narrative to you know, keep the hawkish tone alive. And what that did was it brought back, uh, it, it really allowed the uh, yields across the yield curve to surge higher. Uh, this brings back the topic that we discussed several times about the disconnect between market expectations and uh, Fed narrative. And as long as there's a, a disconnect there where up to about the middle of January, or maybe towards the end of January, the market had expected that the Fed would uh, raise rates uh, maybe two more times, uh, get the Fed terminal Fed funds rate higher, and then eventually cut rates in the second half of the year, more like the fourth quarter. Now, with all the rhetoric that we're hearing from the Fed and the PC print that we saw, uh, and the fact that unemployment is not uh, ticking higher at the same rate uh, that, that would be alarming for the Fed, this has all added to the fact that uh, the market is starting to gravitate, market expectations are trying to gravitate towards the Fed's thinking. And when that happens, you're going to see volatility. And we definitely bought that volatility back uh, that we spoke of uh, sometime in late January. It's been that way through February. Many of the gains that the bond market made in January had to give back quite a bit of that during February. We even had uh, two big Fed speakers uh, speak this week. Uh, Atlanta Fed's Bostic spoke, Waller spoke. Bostic was very, uh, very interesting. His comments really pointed towards interest rate hikes to go above 5% and stay that way into 2024. So these calls by Fed members have caused these yields across the yield curve to move higher. Uh, we saw the 10-year touch 4% before finding some buyers uh, step in. We saw the two-year inch towards 5%. The curves remain deeply inverted, another sign that we've been talking about, which, lead, which is a signal for recession. We could, however, be poised to see even higher yields coming forward. We have 90 billion in U.S. Treasury auctions, threes, tens, and thirties. Um, and we also have a pretty busy week coming up for uh, corporate bond sales. And then, of course, uh, we have the jobs report number that uh, all eyes will be on as well. So if we look at the bond market as a whole, um, you know, we're, we're seeing that the gains that we had in January, we gave, we gave back a lot of that in February. This is how quickly the market can turn. Uh, the global aggregate index was down about 3% in February. Even investment-grade corporate bonds that have remained resilient throughout uh, some of this market volatility, they saw credit spreads, uh, credit spreads start to move wider. And sentiment has definitely started to deteriorate a little bit for credit. Nothing alarming again, but again, it's going to be very important to keep an eye on, on where spreads go, especially if 
recessionary fears start to get highlighted again. So our position remains uh, pretty much the same, up in quality trades, continue to focus on liquid securities, and that's the way to weather this volatility. Rajiv, with the, re with the increase in yields, what do you think the probability is right now that the Fed reverses course and goes 50 basis points at the March meeting? Because the consensus has significantly been at 25 basis points. What are your thoughts? Uh, great question, Brian. I think that, uh, you know, 50 basis points was kind of off the table when we started this conversation in the last Fed meeting we had where they raised 25 basis points. Uh, the focus was really on the pace of Fed rates, rate hikes at that point. Uh, but you are right, 50 basis points is not completely off the table anymore. In fact, the probability is inching towards around 25% for a 50 basis point rate hike. My feeling here is that I don't anticipate the Fed raising 50 basis points at the next meeting. I could anticipate two meetings, the next two meetings having 25 basis point rate hikes in both of them. But 50 would definitely send a strong signal to the market and one of the market I don't think is fully prepared for right now. So I would still vote on the side of 25 basis points. We do have a few Fed speakers coming up. If that notion changes or if they even bring up the 50 basis point conversation, you could see the markets react pretty quickly. 50 basis points, though, Rajiv, would be panic in this situation, it would. wouldn't it? I mean, the Fed has made a mistake. I'll just be in devil's advocate here, but like, I think the market would react incredibly poorly to them changing back to a 50. You're absolutely right. I mean, I think that uh, that's why I, I feel like 50... The only, the only reason it's back in the conversation is because of all this hawkish rhetoric that we're hearing from the Fed. But you are right. I think that a 50 basis point rate hike would definitely send tremors in the market. Volatility would increase quite a bit. The market's not anticipating that. When we went to 25, I think the market's now consistently saying that maybe two more 25s and we should be done. Um, 50 would throw everybody for a loop. So I don't think the Fed's going to do that. I think the Fed's going to kind of stick with their plan. What's going to be very important is the CPI print that we're going to have and obviously the jobs number. Uh, if these start to signal something else, uh, you could start seeing that probability of 50 start to increase. But like I said, I don't believe that's that to be the case right now. So I think the phrase that you used, Rajiv, of sticking to the plan is an apt one. <laughs> and uh, and given some of these cross-currents that we've been talking about now for the last uh, 12 or 15 minutes or so is probably a good conclusion to make as well, where... There's a lot of volatility, a lot of fits and starts. I think this is still somewhat kind of a, of a COVID reopening story that's causing a lot of consternation and frankly, a lot of confusion with respect to where the economy is at this point. And, uh, and that's gonna be with us for a while. So in that backdrop, we continue to really advocate staying neutral towards risk. I mean, it's kind of keeping a balanced portfolio uh, given some of these valuation headwinds and also some of the sentiment um, uh, that's also underlying the surface. But, you know, Steve has also mentioned there are some things to be hopeful towards some green shoots potentially inside the equity market too. So it is kind of a stock pickers market. It's a time to be careful, but it's also a time not to take too much risk given some of the headlines that, uh, that we've been talking about. And we'll be sure to keep everybody informed as we go forward in the weeks ahead. Well, thanks for the conversation today, George, Steve, and Rajiv. We appreciate your insights as always. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. 
Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by KeyBank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and KeyBank Institutional Advisors are part of KeyBank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with KeyBank. Investments and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decision. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.